The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Hi, I'm Suzanne Phillips, and thanks for joining me. Today we're going to build on an earlier show that we did with Gary Wilson, the author of Your Brain on Porn. Gary gave us a well-researched understanding of internet porn addiction, and today we're going to take another step. Our guest is Gabe Deem, who will be sharing his personal story of internet porn addiction, the steps of recovery, and his creation of RebootNation.org a free online community with over 11,000 members which help addicts and their partners overcome problems related to porn use. Gabe is an activist for better sex education and he'll be speaking to us about the impact of porn on young people and what we say to young people about porn. Gabe is a frequent speaker at colleges and conferences internationally. He's been invited to speak to the cadets at West Point the members of Congress about porn's impact on youth. He was featured in Time Magazine's cover story in 2016. He has shared his story with Rolling Stone, MTV, Chelsea Handler, Katie Couric, and many others. He writes for Huffington Post, as well as the peer-reviewed journal Dignity. Gabe Dean, it's my pleasure to welcome you to Psych Up Live. Thanks for having me, Suzanne. It's, it's really an honor to be here. I'm glad to be able to share. Thanks. Let's start out with the question, how did you happen to get addicted to Internet porn? Well, uh, I grew up as a part of the first generation that had unlimited access to porn if you had an Internet connection. But if I go back to my really early childhood years, I stumbled across porn. The typical story that I hear from a lot of guys, uh, I myself was playing hide-and-go-seek in the neighborhood with some friends, and under a tree, we found a Playboy or Hustler magazine. So I was around eight years old at that time, and I actually knew what masturbation was, so I began masturbating to pornography around then. Um, And then if you fast forward two years, my family got cable TV, and I would stay up late at night when this happened and watch MTV and BET uh, music videos where there was lots of twerking, as the kids call it now, or booty shaking, and I would also watch some softcore porn on HBO and things like that. But the real game changer happened when I was 12, and that's when my family got high-speed internet, and this was when it, you know, became first uh, widely available back in... 1999, around the year 2000. Um, And so when this happened, I would ride my bike home from school, uh, middle school, around 7th grade, 8th grade, and I could, you know, watch porn sometimes for up to a couple hours before my parents got home. And this was a normal part of teen culture. Uh, My friends and I would pass pieces of paper back and forth with tips and tricks of how we could clear our histories and delete our cookies and hide it from our parents. 
Um, and it was something that we weren't ashamed about. It was, uh, it was everywhere. It influenced our conversations and, and how we viewed and treated our peers and our classmates and our relationships. Um, and I never really realized it was a problem for me until uh, later on when I was in college, I realized I could no longer become aroused with a real-life partner. My, the girlfriend I had at the time, when we went to have sex, my body could not function. Um, and so if I look back on my life, I realize now in retrospect that a battle began for my libido, if you will, for between pixels and real-life partners when I was 14. Um, and so my, my porn use escalated throughout my teenage years uh, into different genres, and my libido towards real-life partners decreased over years, ultimately leading to that time when I was 23. And I realized I was dependent on porn to function. How did you put together the notion that the symptoms you were having were actually due to the overviewing and overconsuming of porn? Right. Yeah, so at, at first I had no idea what was wrong with me. And so I did what anyone would do. Uh, I hopped on the Internet and got on Google and really started frantically searching for answers. Um, and for the first two months, all I, all I could find on a young guy with sexual dysfunction, uh, if you were otherwise healthy, was performance anxiety. But I knew that couldn't be the answer for me because, as I said, I had been sexually active since I was 14. I was very sexually experienced, uh, otherwise pretty confident and laid-back dude. And so I, I was pretty skeptical that that was my problem. And, and furthermore, I knew that I could function if I turned on porn. So to, to clarify, my, my, uh, I could get an erection with porn. I just couldn't without. And I didn't know that until I saw a test where uh, I was on a medical forum cruising the comments. And I saw a comment that said, if you're a young, healthy guy, see if you can masturbate without pornography. And I hadn't tried that for over a decade. I literally had porn every time I would masturbate. And so I tried to masturbate without porn, and I realized I couldn't. No matter what I fantasized about, no matter what I tried to do to myself, literally nothing could arouse me in the slightest. And that was when I had my epiphany, my eureka moment, that, oh my gosh, I'm dependent on porn as a young, healthy guy to function and that wasn't normal. And once I realized that, it couldn't have been any more clear. Mm. Now, once you realized that, how did you find out, or did you just luckily try things out, or how did you find out how to back this off? And now you, we call it rebooting. What, what was it that brought you to rebooting? And let's talk a little bit about what that is. Uh, yeah, so, so to go back to the first question of like how I realized that I could recover and what I did about recovery, um, I started to get educated on neuroscience, interestingly enough. Um, once I found out that porn could potentially be behind my problems, I realized that there was some material online and uh, from uh, psychiatrist Norman Doidge, actually, he was one of the first people to talk about this in his book, The Brain That Changes Itself, which was published around 2006. He actually dedicated an entire chapter in that book. It's a great book, New York Times bestseller. And in Chapter 4, he laid out what happens when guys condition their sexuality to pixels on a screen and they become dependent on porn. So his argument was neuroplasticity, that these young guys are actually conditioning the arousal template 
in their brain for a specific stimulus, and that stimulus is porn. And without it, they could no longer function. So he detailed that this was a growing uh, trend he was seeing. It was a new phenomenon he was seeing brought on by the increase in access to Internet porn. So once I started realizing that there was neuroscience behind my problem, I was like, oh, my gosh, uh, let me learn everything I can on this subject. So I started studying the latest neuroscience studies that were being published, you know, from Cambridge University and the Max Planck University. And now we have 38 neurological studies on porn users that show that porn addiction in the brain is similar to substance addictions. And in fact, uh, in 2011, the American Society of Addiction Medicine, which is just a group of some 3,000 doctors and uh, addiction experts, they actually published a new definition of addiction, which means, uh, which includes behavioral addiction. And so they no longer looked at addiction as just to substances, but it's actually one condition of the brain, regardless if it's to a substance or a behavior, it looks similar in the brain. So that was the main thing for me getting started on recovery was learning the information behind what I did to myself, not only with addiction, but also sexual conditioning my brain. And that really helped me begin my recovery process. And that, and that is what ultimately uh, led to this interview today is I have a passion now for sharing that in, uh, in hopes that it can help other people because it helped me. It's such a powerful discovery, um, <clears throat> and really your ability to do that kind of research is to be commended because you went from that to actually then deciding what you would try to do, or did you find something that described rebooting and recovering from internet porn addiction? <laughs> yeah, it's funny that I even ended up where I did because... I was a college dropout that just wanted to play video games and watch porn all the time. <laughs> and then I went from my friends joke about it now with me that I actually enjoy reading and learning now that I'm not in college. <laughs> so I wish I had that passion when I was actually still in school. But uh, I think what made me transition into being an activist and to helping other people and ultimately founding uh, Reboot Nation was the was the benefit I was seeing in myself and the benefit that I was seeing in other people, uh, mostly young guys and uh, teenagers and 20-somethings that would message me saying, you know, just simply talking about neuroscience and how porn can condition the brain, I was getting messages from teenage guys that were saying I saved their life. And, you know, that made me step back and scratch my head like, what? Like, how could something so simple have such a profound effect on these people. And then I realized it had a profound effect on me. So of course it makes sense. Um, you know, I grew up chronically consuming porn in a time where culturally it was completely normal. Um, you know, there's a, there's a misconception around porn addiction and young guys that are struggling with porn that uh, the problem is really shame. But that's actually not true. If you hang around a bunch of teenagers and they're being honest with you, they'll tell you that they're proud of their porn use. In my peer group growing up, we, we bragged about what we were watching and we, we took pride in sharing websites and pictures and maybe some videos we got from our girlfriends. Uh, we almost talked about it like Pokemon cards or sports trading cards. It was completely a normal part of our culture. So we didn't turn to porn because of any underlying shame or anything. It was just what we did and it was, it was the thing to do. And so I think that, I think the ignorance around us having no education on the potential negative impact 
really kind of sparked my passion for sharing this information because I wish I would have known the addiction neuroscience and the science behind sexual conditioning when I was a teenager. I always say that I stayed away from cocaine and other harmful substances when I was a teen because I was informed of the potential negative effects physiologically. But I had no clue about porn's potential negative effects, and I wish I did. You know, one of the things that... um Reading about this and hearing Gary speak and now you speak, one of the worries you really have is uh, when you think that teens are spending nine hours online, the teens who as a group are watching and, and using porn and who have never had a real partner, they come into the real partner arena clueless that they right. could very well have a problem and then... I'm concerned about the shame. I'm concerned about them going back to porn thinking, wait a minute, I know I can do this. And yet continually finding they can't quite do it and they don't know much about intimacy, much less relationships with a partner. So it becomes such a rough path for those kids. Yeah, and, and a lot of times, like you're saying, young guys don't even know if they have a problem with porn until they get with a real partner or they try to quit. And that was, uh, that was the case for me. I went, I always had a partner, but I was completely oblivious to the negative effects until I really hit the end of the road and could no longer function without it. But if you have a, if you have a young virgin guy, for example, that chronically consumes porn from the age of 10 to 25, and when he's 25, he first gets with the love of his life. Let's say they, uh, you know, finally get to the point where they have sex and his body does not respond. He can freak out like a lot of these young guys are doing because they have no idea what's wrong with them. And then what's even more concerning is a lot of these young guys go to the doctor they go to your, a urologist and the urologist will just ask the young guy, you know, can you masturbate? And the problem there is there's a generational gap, which is pretty interesting. When a urologist asks a young guy if he can masturbate and get an erection when he's masturbating, he doesn't think to ask him if he's using porn every time or if he's dependent on porn. And then the young guy who sees porn and masturbation as synonymous, he doesn't differentiate the two. He is thinking, well, of course I can masturbate, but he doesn't tell the doctor that he has to have porn. So there's a, there's a pretty big little generational disconnect right there on just the topic of masturbation. Um, it's interesting, and I should point this out, Suzanne, is that I'm not even talking about masturbation and all the activism work I'm doing and the education work I'm doing. My focus, and, and Gary Wilson also, we're trying to increase education on Internet porn's effects, and we're not talking about masturbation. So for a lot of the listeners who uh, come across articles or, or shows or interviews like this, they think that, oh, we're just bashing masturbation and like the old, uh, the old historical argument, scare tactic that maybe you're going to go blind or grow hair on your palms or all those ridiculous arguments. We're not even talking about that. We're talking about something entirely new, and that is uh, a super normal stimulus like Internet porn, something that offers an amount of stimulation and variety, novelty that's never been seen before in human history and now, combined with the unlimited access that adolescents have when their brain is at their most vulnerable moment, they're conditioning it to it. And that's where I feel like the education needs to catch up to, not only for kids, but also for the medical field. And we are starting to slowly see that happen, so that's a good thing. 
Well, let's add as a sidebar middle-aged men who have been out of a relationship for a while and began to use porn, and then all of a sudden when they meet someone online, they can't perform, and they also go to a doctor who really doesn't doesn't inquire about the porn, and they can't figure out why somehow they either can't finish with a real partner or they can't function with a real partner, although they were fine on the porn. So the whole education about this seems to be we definitely are concerned about the young people, but even with our other um, generations, there's a gap in understanding the impact of this Internet porn. Now, we we have – go ahead. The, the good news is there's, there are some studies that have been coming out. We now have five studies that have shown uh, sexual dysfunctions and, and low sexual desire actually go away with the removal of the single variable of porn use. So there, we now have five studies that have uh, documented recovery. One included uh, seven U.S. Navy urologists and psychiatrists. Uh, it showed that... Uh, a few sailors actually were able to uh, recover from sexual dysfunction by removing porn. So stuff the the meta, or the uh, the research is starting to show up. It's just we need to get it to the public now, and that's what I'm trying to do, and that's what uh, Gary's trying to do. Mm-hmm. Now, even in we have about a minute, but let's just point out what are the symptoms that would alert someone to the fact that they may have an internet porn addiction that's impacting sexual functioning? Well, uh, that's a great question. The the most obvious one is erectile dysfunction, when you can no longer function with a real-life partner. Uh, And a test on that you can do is, as I kind of described earlier, see if you can masturbate without porn. If you can get an erection without porn, then it might be performance anxiety or some other issue. And when in doubt, always go see a doctor to rule out other physiological causes. But there's also delayed ejaculation or difficulty climaxing with a partner. Either you can no longer climax or it might take you an abnormally long period of time, something that's distressing to you. Uh, There's loss of libido, uh, lower sexual drive for real partnered sex, but but you also might have an an addiction or a, a sensitization process to porn. So high drive for porn, low drive for real life partnered sex. Um, or just a loss of attraction to your partner who maybe uh, consciously you think is beautiful or attractive, but your body doesn't physiologically react like you are attracted to them. So that can be very confusing. Okay, Um, let's just stop right there. I have to take a break. Um, It's so important what you're sharing, and we're going to come back to it right after the break. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Gabe Deem. He is the creator of Reboot Nation. He's sharing with us how it happens that young people get addicted without even realizing it to high-speed internet porn. We're going to be looking at recovery and also how we speak to teens. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. What's your coffee story? The one that defines who you truly are in a relaxing setting. It's where you share your memories, plan for the future, and talk about the now. My favorite coffee story is here with host Aniko Samoji. 
We invite you to listen in and share your coffee stories too. Bring your friends or just stop by as we talk about coffee and the inspiring stories that touch our lives every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Every day, we're surrounded by technical buzzwords and jargon that can go way over our heads. Now, there's a show that brings it all back down to earth. Tune in for today, Tomorrow's Technologies, with host Jose Negron. We'll not only explain the new technologies that are shaping our world, we'll give you the benefits and backstory of these technologies. Listen for T3 with Jose Negron, live every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Where are you getting your advice on buying, selling, or maintaining your most important asset, your home? Is it from a reality show on cable TV, a comparison website, or are you just flying by the seat of your pants and gut instinct? Stop now before you make another move. Tune into Real Real Estate Today with host and realtor Deb Tomorrow. You can't afford to play guesswork when it comes to your new or existing home. Listen every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Gabe Deem about internet porn addiction And we were just talking about, I had asked Gabe, and he's going to continue, about some of the physical symptoms that would alert a young person, a middle-aged person, anyone, to the possibility of Internet porn addiction. Do you want to continue with that, Gabe? Yeah, sure. So I covered erectile dysfunction. That's the most obvious one. Uh, Delayed ejaculation or difficulty climaxing with a partner. Uh, Loss of libido. But there's also other symptoms you could look for. One thing we see pretty regularly is the loss of morning wood or nocturnal erections. So if you notice you're no longer waking up with an erection ever, then that might be a pretty pretty good red flag that something could be wrong. Um, and that's actually a symptom a lot of doctors will ask about. Uh, and then there's also morphing sexual tastes. Um, if you notice that what you're watching or getting off to or interested in has changed drastically and maybe is now something that you used to consider distressing or repulsive personally, then that's another red flag because we see that very commonly. Um, and that uh, that would be the, the end of the, the physical symptoms, if you will, that are most common. And the non-physical, what, what would you say, they're probably less obvious, but yeah. they were mentioned, yeah. So, so for behavioral addictions, uh, any behavioral addiction, you'll see an increase in stress and anxiety. So for myself, for example, I'm normally a pretty laid back, chill guy. I try to, you know, not stress too much. No stress, no mess is a motto. Uh, but I became very irritable. Um, if you if you notice that you're becoming uh, restless and uh, easily irritated, 
Um, if you notice a, a spike of anxiety, specifically social anxiety, that might not be normal for your uh, personality. And also a poor working memory, which actually has been seen in some studies on porn users. Uh, if, you're, if you're having brain fog, as we call it, difficulty concentrating, um, and uh, maybe uh, a harder time remembering small, minute details at work or with tasks that you're trying to do. Uh, and then a loss of interest in things that you used to be interested in, not just sexually, but just overall in life. Like, I lost my interest in basketball and sports, and I lost my motivation to go to the gym and get a good workout and stuff like that. If you notice a change in your drive and motivation, that could also be a, a pretty telling uh, mental symptom. You know, like so many other addictions, the world just becomes so constricted and small that you are literally living a life only with and for the the substance, and in this case, it's the internet porn. So it makes so much sense when you speak about the even the non-sexual uh, and physical right. symptoms. So now, let's talk about, I'm sure our listeners are wondering, why are we using the term reboot, and actually, what would be the steps? Well, we use the term rebooting, so you can kind of envision wiping clean a computer and starting from scratch. You know, as you, as you uh, use a computer over years, you download files, you install software and hardware, um, and to use the analogy to real life, as you go through life, your brain neurologically wires to things you enjoy, uh, the, the neurological pathways in your brain for skills that you're trying to get better at, uh, those increase and strengthen and so just to, it's just a term that we like to use as uh, just so you can envision your brain kind of rebooting like a computer and going back to square one. So then you can install healthy behavior and healthy uh, processes and consume healthy material so you can wire your brain the way you want to wire it, a healthier, a healthier uh, functioning brain. Mm-hmm. And so what would be my first step? Um, if so the, I, go ahead. So I don't, I don't necessarily have a program, but I do, uh, I have a YouTube channel with one of the videos is my advice for those recovering. And mm-hmm. I kind of lay out uh, a five or six step plan that I did. And step one is get educated. So again, going back to my example of teaching teens or anyone about the potential negative effects of substances, uh, you need to get educated on the potential negative effects of chronically consuming porn. And so learn the neuroscience. Learn, there's tons of information out there. And as you discussed, uh, you had Gary on a, a few weeks ago, and his website is just brilliant. There's lots of information that can be consumed by anyone, and even a, even a kid can understand it. And if, if you're a parent out there listening, you could maybe read it yourself and then maybe teach your teach your child or teenager the basics of what overstimulation can do to the brain. And you don't even have to get too specific if you don't want. So step one is just learn the physiological processes in the brain of becoming desensitized to something and how that might make you crave more and more to achieve the same effect. Learn the basics of sensitization, which is wiring your brain to something that might have a negative impact on you to where everything else in life kind of loses interest. Um, and then also uh, there's a term called hypofrontality. So learn how the frontal lobes and the prefrontal cortex of the brain might not function 
at optimal performance, and that translates into making poor decisions. That's like kind of the executive part of the brain. And so these are, they sound very complex, but you can actually read about it and learn about it on a site like Your Brain on Porn and kind of digest it in a pretty practical way. Um, so that's step one. Step two would be to replace the addiction. Uh, maybe you already have a pretty healthy life, but try and increase your time doing healthy activities for me. That was exercising a little more. That was socializing with my friends a little more and spending more time with my girlfriend. Um, and then also, number three would be get support. Uh, this is a topic that a lot of people don't want to talk about publicly. And the good news is you have sites like Reboot Nation, uh, my site, or you also have a site like nofap.com. There's also yourbrainrebalance.com. And these are websites uh, where you can be anonymous and you can share your story and you can get advice and support and, and know that you're not alone. So that's pretty big. When you're going through recovery like this, you might feel alone and that you're broken and that there's no hope, but there's so much hope out there. And these websites like mine and others have thousands and thousands of success stories. And so that's, uh, that would be number three. And number four, and this is a big one, would be change your mindset or change how you view porn. And what I don't mean is start watching porn standing up. What I mean is change how you see porn as like a subject. And for me, that's looking at porn now as unhealthy. So, you know, historically it's been talked about uh, whether porn is morally right or wrong or good or bad. So I encourage people to not look at it as good or bad morally, but rather healthy or unhealthy. So if you focus on the healthy or unhealthy aspect of it, it's a lot easier and there is no shame around the behavior. You can actually focus on improving yourself rather than not doing something that's bad. So that's a pretty big mindset change. And those are my, those are my four steps right there in a nutshell. Okay. Now, behaviorally, and this gets people a little confused, Am I correct that you're recommending that you avoid porn use? You have to stop, like any other addiction, you have to yeah. stop using porn. Yeah, step one is stop using porn. I guess I should have said that. <laughs> it's a five-step plan. Step right. one is stop using because uh, you don't want to reinforce the neurological pathways. Um, you get you get good at what you practice, right? So an example I use with, uh, with younger guys is um, if you want to get good at playing football, you don't spend all day playing Madden NFL, a video game on Xbox. You actually need to go out there and play real football. So I don't mean for porn, as the example, I don't mean you have to go out there and just start having real sex, but I do mean you need to stop using porn and reinforcing that pathway and then spend time with real people, uh, socializing, uh, maybe courting and dating. And if, if you're a, if you're a, someone who doesn't have a, uh, a whole lot of social experience, the best way to get good at social interactions is to put yourself in social interactions. You have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And so, yes, you, whatever you do strengthens in your brain. And the more you do it, uh, the more hardwired it becomes. And so the first thing you want to do is stop that process. Now let's just talk about that reality because here's where like, Someone will say, well, I use a little bit of weed. I did a little bit of co-. So we know that the that porn's available on every device uh, and your mm-hmm. phone's there all the time. It's not like we could avoid working on a computer, whether in the workplace or at home. Right. Or so how do you find that people um, are able to manage the avoiding of 
porn or anything related to it? Do yeah. they put locks on their phones and computers, Gabe? Uh, what yeah, do you think? That's a, that's a great question. Uh, the main thing you want to avoid is the seeking and the searching of pornographic material. Uh, there's a difference between a pop-up popping up on your cell phone uh, neurologically in the brain than you seeking, typing in a website, searching for material, because that's the behavior you're really trying to change, right? You're trying to change the actions that your addiction uh, wired into your brain. So if you, if you stumble across porn, yes, you might be triggered uh, and you might be tempted to use, but if you can say no to that, that doesn't reinforce the behavior that your addiction was really based upon, and that's searching for novelty, searching for sexual stimuli. And so if you are finding that stumbling across porn is causing you to relapse and uh, keep your addiction alive, then sometimes drastic times do call for drastic measures, and that's when you can put filters on your devices, uh, maybe get a dumb phone instead of a smartphone for a period of time until you at least have some some uh, frontal lobe functioning back, if you will, some, some more... Uh, some self-discipline kind of built up over the first couple of weeks. Uh, and also that might help you get through the, the withdrawal phase. Not everyone with uh, behavioral addiction will go through withdrawal, but it is pretty common where stress will spike after you quit your addiction. And so if you need to do something drastic, like maybe not get on your smartphone unless you're in a public place or maybe not get on your laptop unless you're at a Starbucks or a coffee shop. Doing things like that can really help you get through that initial phase of the recovery. And then once you have uh, kind of rebooted, quote unquote, then you can go back to using your devices uh, however you please and not have to stumble back into addiction. Okay. Now, my question now comes from um, people who are partners of someone who's now decided to reboot. So the partner... Oh, female or male, the, fe- the female partner, let's say, says, so now we can't have sex? Or now, what happens now and how long does this take? Or how does a person <laughs> explain to their partner what's going on and what kind of process they're into? Yeah, so the first thing that needs to be said is it's different for everybody. Um, and I'm glad you kind of used the example uh, of the, the female-male dynamic, but it also, like you were trying to say, it, it can be male-to-male, it can be female-to-female, it can be the female is an addict and the, the male is the partner. So we, we'll use the female-male example because percentage-wise that might be uh, the most likely scenario. So for anyone wondering if this can go the other way, it certainly can. Um, but I think the first thing they need to do, uh, is the same as if you were recovering, if you're a partner, um, I actually have a partner section on reboot nation. And one of the first things I encourage them to do is learn the neuroscience also. So they know that they're not the problem. If, if you're a partner of an addict, you're not the problem. The problem is in your partner's brain. Addiction is about brains. And so it's not an attraction thing. Uh, it's the fact that his brain has become sensitized to a stimulus, uh, in, in this case, porn. And so learning that is really beneficial to partners from what I've, uh, from the reports I've gotten from partners on my website and the messages that I've received, knowing that, uh, it's not an attraction thing can be a, a, a real big weight off the shoulders for a partner because, you know, you hear it all the time uh, when you're talking about this subject. You'll hear the, the, the classic talking points that I can't compete with the porn stars or I can't compare to the Photoshop, the surgically enhanced, 
yada, yada, yada. Once a partner knows that it's not necessarily about that, it's not about the, the specific genres that he's watching. He could be watching, he could be watching anything. I mean, there's cartoon porn, there's porn where guys are getting off to, uh, cum shot compilations where it's not even sex. It's just the, it's, it becomes more about uh, the genre and less about the attraction of the, of the actress or actor. So once desensitization takes place in the brain, it's no longer, in my case, especially I was, I wasn't seeking out porn because of what the porn stars look like per se. I was seeking out porn that shocked me, maybe gave me that bigger neurochemical hit. Um, and then the, besides getting educated, just knowing that uh, there is support out there and there is a community that can help you on these recovery forums, that's also very beneficial for partners. I also think an answer to um, why am I not enough or am I not like what you're watching, the very fact that someone wants to reboot and wants to reverse this really is right, a testament yeah. to the fact they really want to be with their partner. And when you have support, and, and I, what I like about Reboot Nation is you are supporting the partners, male, male or female, because as you say, people heal in community, and when they realize, hey, she just asked the question I was thinking of, that's mm-hmm. the beauty of having a virtual group to walk with you through this. Yeah, absolutely. Regardless of what individual questions you have or your experiences, more than likely someone on these forums is going to be able to relate to you. And that's what started it all in the first place. If you, if you go back to 2008, so here's an interesting little observation. Um, these forums started shortly after YouTube was created. And when YouTube was created, you had an explosion of porn tube sites, sites that mimic YouTube. And then two years after that, that was around 2006. In 2008, you had your first explosion of posts online on forums all around the world on topics about everything, all kinds of different topics, bodybuilding sites, uh, health uh, diet sites, car car websites where guys uh, talk about engines and whatnot. You would see threads pop up about difficulty maintaining arousal with their partners. So the internet, in an ironic way, is also a solution to the problem for a lot of people. Uh, You might, you know, the, the communities, the openness, the accountability and the, the fact that you know you're not alone is just such a beautiful thing with these recovery websites for partners and those that are struggling. Okay, we're going to have to take a break. We have much more to come. We're going to be speaking about teens and how we speak to them, misconceptions. We've, we're here with Gabe uh, Deem, and we'll be back. Stay with us. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England. Along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week. And each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio. Live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Can you truly be a change agent in your community? We think you can. Tune in every week for Envision with co-hosts Thomas Rosenberg and Ronnie Langer Kroger. The show is all about building an inclusive and just future by connecting people with ideas. Connect with what's happening in your community, your country, and around the world as we speak with amazing guests who are fostering change and making their communities better. Envision is heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're here with Gabe Geem and we're talking about internet porn addiction, recovery, rebooting. And in this section, we want to talk about teens and what should teens know about porn, porn addiction, porn content. Now, just yesterday in the Times, Maggie Jones posted a piece on what teenagers learn from online porn. Um, Gabe, I mean, one of the things, I want you to weigh in on this, because one of the things that struck me as very valid is one boy reports, uh, well, you can't find anywhere else to learn about sex, and to quote him, porn stars know the most, so why not look at porn? So what do we do with this in terms of helping kids not necessarily use porn as the how-to guide for intimacy and sexual connection? Right. So first off, I think it's a mistake if we teach kids how to healthily consume porn. First of all, porn use under the age of 18 is technically illegal. So I don't know what the ethics are behind that when you're telling a kid that, yeah, you can consume it, but do it this way. That's like that's like telling a kid to only occasionally drink light beer and not take vodka shots. So to me, that's kind of a logical way to go about it just to begin with. Um, but I think as far as the solution goes, there's there's a two-pronged approach that we need to take. And one that the article did get right is that you need to talk about what is healthy sexuality. You know, the, uh, the article was very uh, graphic and explicit on the stuff that teens are watching, like uh, rough facial sex, uh, maybe anal sex and things like that, and choking, stuff that isn't always a part of healthy sexuality, if you will, and especially if that's the first exposure these kids are getting without any context or any uh, education on consent and talking with your partner about what they like, obviously that can create a lot of problems further down the road. 
So talking about what is healthy sexuality and, and how to communicate with your partner is only half the battle. And I think the other half of the battle, which the article completely missed, is the education on its potential impact on a physiological level, not just psychological. And that would be the addiction neuroscience and the science behind sexual conditioning. We've known for years that you can take a rat, for example, and you can condition its arousal to something like cadaverine, which is the smell of rotting flesh. There's a really interesting study on this. It's one of my favorites on the topic. They took young virgin male rats and mated them with female rats, sprayed with this cadaverine, this stank, nasty, rotting flesh smell. And after they mated the rats together, the newly conditioned male rats would actually chew on and play on toys that were sprayed with this smell. Now, normal, unconditioned male rats would actually run away from them. They were naturally repulsed by it. So it was a pretty easy, clear study on how Something that was once repulsive can become erotic, and that's been known in animal models for like 20 years. And so the fact that uh, sex education is completely neglecting that maybe some of this material these kids are watching is changing their sexuality and morphing their sexual taste, I think to ignore that is a huge mistake. And I know this because I experienced it. I was watching things, and I escalated into things as a teenager that morphed my sexuality and I ended up watching things I was originally repulsed by. Uh, very abusive and misogynistic stuff at, at some points of my porn career, if you will. Um, and so I think to neglect that is a big mistake. And that uh, the article actually mentioned that the uh, sexuality teacher, the, uh, the, the teacher of the porn literacy program is what they call it, uh, she actually teaches the kids there's no evidence of addiction. Uh, that was one of the quotes. And that is very problematic because, as I mentioned earlier, there's now 30-plus studies on uh, brain studies on porn users that all support the addiction model. And that's not even including over 200 Internet addiction studies. So to not tell these kids that there's a potential negative addiction aspect of this is very troubling. Mm, I think... Um I'm agreeing with you, and and one of the things that I feel compelled to say is I think it's very clear that you're not saying, I'm not saying, Gary Wilson is not saying that we should create panic or shame in a kid who happened to see some porn that his friend showed him in the the cafeteria on the phone. The issue is helping them understand, well, maybe you need to know more about this, because actually... When we think about alcohol, um, drugs, etc., yes, a kid's got to go get that. They have this. The availability of porn anytime, any place, for as many hours as you want is, to me, what makes it such a tremendous risk and what makes the education about it so necessary. Right, yeah, and, and I think that's, that opens up a very good point for me to clear up a misconception. Uh, I don't even consider myself anti-porn. I'm pro-education. And educating a young person about addiction and potential negative effects is not the same as scaring them. For instance, using your example of alcohol, teaching a young person about the potential negative effects of drinking is not the same as shaming them. I mean, you might, you know, pop open a bottle of wine once or twice uh, a week and your kid's not going to be like, what the heck? What are you, why are you doing that if you taught me that alcoholism is real? 
the kid's going to have some context that, hey, if you abuse this, it can lead to potential negative problems. And so I think just knowing that that's where we're coming from, we're just coming from an education perspective. We want these kids to be able to make informed decisions because I lacked this information as a teenager. I had no clue of the potential negative effects. And simply telling kids, oh, well, this type of porn, quote unquote, female friendly porn, uh, or ethical porn, if they just stick to that, they're not going to develop problems. That's not true. Uh, there's many guys on these forums that stuck to the quote unquote female friendly porn, the amateur porn, uh, and they still developed porn induced erectile dysfunction. They still developed addiction. Uh, and they could watch uh, anime or, or hentai porn where there's actually not even real people in the porn that are being uh, abused or objectified. They can still develop problems. So regardless of the content, neuroplasticity is, is the main player here. So it doesn't matter if they're not watching those abusive genres that the New York Times piece pointed out. They could stick to that uh, ethical porn that Cindy Gallup from makelovenotporn.com, she uh, advocates for uh, teaching kids what, what healthy sexuality looks like through friendly porn. That's not the answer because they can still wire their brains for it regardless of what it contains. I think um, Gary Wilson really underscores what you're saying because he says good porn, bad porn, what's dangerous is the delivery. No one got internet porn addiction from from reading Playboy, which you saw, you put back under wherever it was. Yeah, as soon as you turn the pages, you can no longer be shocked and surprised and the novelty's gone. Right. You had to wait another month to get the next issue. (laughs) Right. It, this is this is the whole delivery and the availability. Now, just because we have parents out there, what would you say to your teenage son or daughter if he said, Dad, I watch you because I want to know what girls want. I've never seen a girl in porn who doesn't seem really happy. Um, well, I think first things first, you gotta you got to teach them your values and teach them what healthy sexuality is. Uh, that would be... There needs to be some reciprocity, obviously, of concern and care for what the partner's into, which usually you don't see that in mainstream pornography. There's no conversation. It's straight to penetration. Um, So, again, if you go to the the two-pronged approach to this, one, have a conversation about what healthy uh, sexuality is, uh, and you can also, in that, explain that porn is acting and it's not... It's not real sex. Now, some of it, to be clear, is real sex. I mean, there's, there's videos, of obviously, where uh, exhibitionists or people upload themselves making love with their, their spouse or their partner, and it is real sex, and they're not acting. Um, so that kind of needs to go into the second part of the discussion, which is teaching neuroplasticity and teaching the, uh, the addiction component. Um, but I think, I think to answer that kid's question of, you know, what if they look like they're enjoying it? and all that, again, you'll never know whether someone in a video is is acting or not, in a sense. Um, And the only way to get around that is having open and honest conversations with with your partner. So you would tell your kid when they do uh, fall in love with their partner, they need to have open and honest conversations about what they're into and what what they want their sexuality to look like. Um, That would be my answer for that. Mm. Now, a quick question. What's the percentage of females who get addicted to porn? Uh, I don't know the exact stats, and I don't even know if they're available, but I do know that it's uh, it's lower than 
males. Um, some stats I've seen are anywhere from 4 to 20% uh, of, of heavy users and then guys can be much higher. But, uh, the, the female aspect of this problem is definitely something that hasn't been researched as good as it needs to be. But there are, I should say on that, there are, uh, female addicts on Reboot Nation and there are female addicts on the other recovery forums. And there's actually, uh, if you, if you type in, here come the women on yourbrainonporn.com, if you search for that, there's a, there's a great article uh, with tons of quotes and information from female addicts who are recovering from either a porn-induced sexual dysfunction or addiction. Terrific. Okay, now how will people find you, Gabe, and Reboot Nation and your educational channel, Reboot Nation? Um, uh, you can direct, I was going to say, you can directly contact me on Twitter. Uh, it's just at Gabe Deem, my name. Um, and also, uh, I highly encourage everyone to check out my YouTube channel if you just type in Reboot Nation. Uh, I have about 12 or 13 educational and motivational videos for those interested in my story or advice for those recovering. Um, and I try and make all my arguments uh, evidence-based. Uh, I try to link or talk about research as much as I can. And then the other side of that is just sharing my experience and what helped me the most during recovery. And then lastly, you can uh, contact me or reach out to me on RebootNation.org. My username is Gabe Beam on there as well. Yeah, I, w- I want to underscore that RebootNation.org has plenty of information and the Reboot Nation, the educational channel. I think you have a million views on that. It's the type yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a type you could watch with a youngster. Really, really good. Um, Gabe, I want to thank you. Gabe Deem, I want to thank you for coming on Psych Up Live and for really underscoring all sides of the issue of porn addiction and particularly how are we going to help young people know about the dangers without making it um, shameful or upsetting. Certainly your story is really a valuable one for young people to hear and to really learn from. Thanks again for coming on Psych Up Live. I appreciate it. And thanks for having me. I hope, I hope it was helpful. Thanks. I want to thank my listeners. Remember, you can hear this and any prior show as a podcast on my host site, my website, on the podcast app of your iPhone or on iTunes under Voice America Psych Up Live. This show will be a podcast by this evening at 6.30, so you'll be able to hear it whenever you're available to hear it. Remember to drop me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Until next week, please take care, thanks, and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week.